Sin defeat. 
start the morning. Why don't we go ahead and welcome people around us, and then afterward, go ahead and have a seat. so important. They protect our feet and keep them safe. In some parts of the world, diseases can be found in the dirt. 
So putting on a pair of shoes can save someone's life. But some families can't afford to buy shoes. That's why at this year's Bible Camp, we will be collecting shoes to give to our friends in Gaiamate, Dominican Republic. We need all kinds of shoes for little kids and for big kids. We can walk like Jesus by loving others and giving. So walk this way with us at Hopevale Bible Camp and give shoes that can change lives. When you walk, nothing will slow you down. When you run, you won't trip and fall. Hold on to my teaching and don't let it go. Guard it well because it's your life. Proverbs 4, 12, and 13. Bible Camp is coming. Can you believe it? Yes. Well, as you know, every year we do an outreach project as part of Bible Camp because we just feel it's really important to show our kids who are a part of this event just a practical way uh, to express their faith in action to the world around them. And so as you saw in the video, we're collecting shoes this year as part of the Bible Camp Outreach Project. And so if you've got a young one who's going to be signing up this year, just have that in the back of your mind as uh, maybe you're in the store. So we'll be collecting new or slightly used shoes for that project. And so that's also just an encouragement. We are still taking sign-ups for volunteers and campers. So you can visit uh, the, the folks in the lobby this morning to find out more about that. And if you have already signed up as a volunteer, just a quick reminder that we are going to have a meeting at noon right here in the auditorium. And so we hope that you can stick around for that to get more information about everything that you need to know as Bible Camp approaches. Well, as we continue uh, in worship this morning, uh, we're going to move into our time of offering. So I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just the, the privilege it is to serve you, our great and awesome, incredible God. Uh, Lord, and just... Um, we just thank you for uh, just this chance of uh, the summer season coming upon us and just all that that means. And we just pray for uh, times of refreshment with family and friends. But God, it also means Bible Camp is coming. Lord, we know that this is an event that a lot of uh, time and energy uh, and passion goes into. And so, God, we just give that to you right now and all of the plans and, and preparations that are taking place right now for that event. Uh, God, that it would just be in your hands and that you would uh, work through that uh, to just capture the hearts and the minds of these little ones as they come that week to hear of how incredible you are. Lord, as we uh, give this morning, we just recognize that, God, you are the giver of all things. God, we are stewards of the resources that you have given to us. And God, we just use this as an act of worship to give back to you. And God, that you would just take it and use it to further your kingdom here on this earth, all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.
here with this morning, whatever burden you have on you, lay it down. Be a little bit vulnerable at his feet at this moment. Just sit there and say, here's my life, Lord. I exalt thee. I exalt thee because he is worthy. We're going to unite as a church. And we're going to tell him he's holy. We're going to tell him he's worthy. And we're going to thank him for taking our burden and making it light. Don't worry about the people around you. Sing out. Shout it. Lay that chain down. And just exalt him. And lift it high. As a church, we sing, we exalt thee. Lift it up, church. Here we go. thank you for moving in these people. We thank you for opening up hearts. We thank you for the people that say, you are my God. Here's my life. Here's my heart. Make it clean. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Boy, when we worship like that, when we say we exalt the Lord, it's not putting him in a place that he isn't already there. I mean, he is already exalted above everything, everyone else in this world, in this universe. But to say that we do it is to say, Lord, in my life, you're exalted above all things, all wishes, dreams, hopes, aspiration. And, you know, the thing is, this is how God works, is when he is given that place in our lives, Everything else seems to fall into place. That's why Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. And so that's what we do. This is our time to get reoriented, to see God for who he truly is as we worship together. Well, there are just two Sundays left 
in our anger series. And as we begin to wind things down, today I want to talk about anger in relationships. Anger in relationships, and then specifically, anger in the relationships that mean the most to us. Do you ever notice how there's this funny, well, I don't know if it's funny, strange, unusual correlation between anger and the people that we really care about, care about, you know, I mean, why is it that we will stay silent with that obnoxious coworker who continually annoys us with their rude behavior, and yet will immediately pounce on our spouse, our child, our close friend over the smallest annoyance? I mean, why is it, logically speaking, you would think it would be the other way, right? Where we'd want to extend all this grace to those we love, because in part, they're also the ones who love us back, right? You think we could cut them some slack. You think we could hold back the anger. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? No, sadly, our biggest struggles with anger often have to do with the people that we're closest to. And so chances are, as you have sat through this series and you have listened to these messages, that the situations that keep coming back to your mind have to do with a marriage partner, a family member, a best friend, whatever it is, right? And so today, I want us to drill down deeper into that, into the issue of anger, as it has to do with our closest and most meaningful relationships. Now, in a lot of ways, everything that we've talked about this series so far, and all the Bible passages we've seen about anger, they apply just the same, all right? It's not like there's a completely different set of rules that apply to your husband as to the person who cuts you off in traffic, right? I mean, anger is anger. And the underlying dynamics of what provokes us to anger are the same. And yet, when we talk about these close relationships, we need to understand not just why we get angry, but we also need to apply that same insight as to why this other close person to us might be angry with us. I mean, that's significant as well, because while we have a responsibility for our own anger, we also have a duty to help nurture and protect those close relationships, to do what we can, as we saw last week, to make sure we are at peace with each other. And so if we sense that they're mad at us, we should be concerned about that as well. And so with that background, we want to today look at three different kinds of close relationships. Anger in these three relationships. Anger in marriage relationships, anger in committed relationships, and anger in family relationships. Three different kinds. Marriage, committed relationships, family relationships. And again, while the foundational principles about anger are the same, we're going to see that there are also some unique dynamics to each one of these. And so because of that, I think the rest of our time today is going to play out kind of like three mini-sermons, right? where some of what I talk about might not relate directly to your specific life situation, but chances are there's going to be at least one of these that's going to hit you between the eyes. So that's where we're going to go today. And before we begin, one other thing I want to mention, I brought this up last week, that as we close the service today, we're going to do it a little differently than we normally do. That instead of wrapping things up with a song, we're going to give you the opportunity to pray with some church leaders who are going to be up front here. I know this anger series has connected with a lot of you, and so if there's something that you would like specific prayer for, we'd love to share that prayer with you. It might have to do with your own anger. It might have to do with someone who is angry with you. Maybe it's something that I touch on today. Maybe it's something from a few weeks ago. Whatever it might be, we want to be with you. We want to join with you in prayer about it because we really believe that God has the heart and the power to change you and your situation. So that's how we're going to wrap things up today. But let's go back now to anger, anger in these three close relationships. And we're going to start off with the marriage relationship. Anger in marriage. Now, when it comes to marriage, what I'm about to say might shock you, but hear me out, that I think every good marriage needs a little anger in it, right? Every good marriage needs some anger in it. Now, some of you are thinking, well, we've got a lot of anger, so that must mean we're doing really well, but that's, <laughs> that's not the point I want to make, right? Now, I want to qualify that statement for a minute because I don't want you to take it the wrong way. 
But I say that because I think there are a lot of people who have this incorrect and idealistic view about what a good marriage should look like. And so often, I think people come to this simplistic conclusion that if a husband and wife are never angry with each other, then it must mean they're doing great. I think that's what a lot of people think. But here's what we're missing with a mindset like that. Marriage is what? Marriage is the union of two sinful people who each have a bent towards self-centeredness. I'm not saying they don't love each other. I'm sure they do. I'm just saying that in every marriage, there are times when both the husband and the wife will make choices of self-interest over spouse interest. Self-interest over spouse interest. It happens in marriage. They do that. I mean, Kathy does it all the time. I mean, I see it. (laughs) Maybe I do a little too, okay? Maybe, right? But if that's the case, then it is just completely unrealistic to expect that we'll never do anything that upsets our spouse, right? Even in a marriage of two committed Christians who are both growing in their relationship with the Lord, if they tell me that they never get angry with each other, then it means one of three things, right? They're lying, they're clueless, or their marriage is incredibly shallow, Anger between spouses happens in even the best of marriages, so the question is not will we ever get angry with each other, but the question is what will we do when we get angry with each other. Now here's where I want to go back to the distinction we saw a few weeks ago between angry feelings versus angry actions, right? Because let me be clear, just because we feel the emotion of anger toward them, it does not give us the right to do whatever we want to them, right? No matter how strongly we feel we've been wronged by our spouse, there is absolutely no place for violence or abuse of any kind. Emotional, verbal, physical, none whatsoever, right? You may feel angry toward them. You may even have a right to do so. But you got to prayerfully think through how you communicate that anger. And so when it comes to the reality of anger in marriage, here's how I would put it. That While destructive explosions of anger cannot be tolerated, and if you are in a marriage where that dynamic is going on, it has to be addressed. Can't be tolerated, but constructive expressions of anger must be allowed. They've got to be allowed. And so, yes, we're quick to condemn marriages where we see yelling and screaming and cursing and punching and grabbing, and rightfully so. And yet, on the other hand, a marriage also needs to be safe enough where our spouse can express to us what's upsetting them without fear of immediate retaliation. Because let me tell you, if that kind of expression isn't allowed to happen in a marriage, if she's not, if he's not able to do that, you might be avoiding conflicts in the short run, but you're also going to be multiplying problems in the long run. That unexpressed anger, that pent-up frustration is eventually going to come out one way or another, and when it does, it's not going to be pretty. We've talked about this before, about how unresolved anger can turn into things like chronic negativity, emotional apathy, and even clinical depression. You know, I hate to be blunt, but there might be some husbands out here who can't quite figure out what happened to the fun-loving wife of their youth, when in reality, years of, you can't do that, we're not going to talk about that, you have no right to be upset with me, where all that is finally taking its toll. Married couples need to be able to express their anger and frustrations with each other, but they also need to do it in a constructive way. You got to be able to fight fairly where the end goal is win-win resolution where both the husband and the wife feel like they have been heard and understood. That is the goal. So how do you do that, right? What's it look like? There's so much we could say here and quite frankly I'm not sure I'm the best guy in the world to give marriage advice, right? But for starters, let me just give you a few you know thoughts and tips here. First of all, I'd say this We've talked about this before in this series. Address your anger sooner than later. Address your anger sooner than later. This passage, Ephesians 4, 26, 27, is so good. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know, actually, I should, 
I, I think that should read, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, or else you will give the devil a foothold. Where in the fertile soil of unresolved anger, Satan will sow seeds of doubt and mistrust. Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe she's seeing someone else. Maybe he wasn't the one I was supposed to marry. Maybe I didn't really love her in the first place. It is amazing how quickly an anger-fueled imagination can take us to some really dark places. And so you cannot let your anger fester. Address your anger sooner than later. So if you do that, how do you do it? Well, second, explain, don't accuse explain, don't accuse. If you are angry with your spouse over some specific incident, chances are your spouse doesn't know it. Really. And even if they have picked up on your anger, it's very likely they don't know the reason why. And I'd say that it is especially true with us husbands, honestly, right? We're in this thing called marriage, but sometimes we are just clueless about some things that have to do with marriage. I'm not saying that as an excuse, I'm just saying that's the way it is, and so you've got to be able to address anger in marriage with this dynamic in mind. See, sometimes one spouse, in my years of pastoral counseling, it tends to be the wives, they equate cluelessness with a lack of love and concern. That if he really cared, he would understand why I'm so angry with him. Maybe, but maybe not. Listen, if your husband has a superpower, I'm pretty sure it's not mind reading, okay? You just need to know that. And so if you're going to try to not let the sun go down on your anger, then you need to be able to bring up your anger, your frustrations, in a way that's going to be productive. And when that time comes, that's when you need to explain and not accuse. So instead of going ballistic with accusatory statements like, you always, you never, you don't care, instead of that, you need to be able to explain your emotions in light of how you interpreted their actions. Explain your emotions in light of how you interpreted their actions. So instead of, you messed up again and made me so angry, you need to say something like, you know, when you brought home that um, 72-inch flat-screen TV without talking to me first, I felt disrespected and ignored. Thought we had a great conversation the other day about our finances, how we need to tighten things up. And so when I saw that set up in the, the living room, it, it feels like to me you're not taking me seriously, or it feels like we're not even on the same page on this money thing, right? That's why I got upset. So can we talk about that? You need to be able to bring it up, but use words in such a way that it's going to open up a conversation, not shut one down, right? Explain, don't accuse. And then third, if you're on the receiving end of it, listen, don't react, right? Listen, don't react. We've talked about this dynamic before and just the incredible wisdom of James chapter 1, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So when your spouse tries to have a conversation with you about why they're mad at you, resist the urge to retaliate immediately. Instead, push for some clarity before you respond. Try to find out the real reason why they're upset with you. Because chances are, it's likely as they're laying it all out, it's not going to be as clean and tidy as I just described. Maybe it is going to be more accusation than explanation. And you feel like you're on the witness stand. Listen, don't react. This is where we need to rely on the Holy Spirit for that fruit. What self-control? I know this can sound cliche, but one of my favorite statements here is simply just, you know, help me understand, right? uh, Well, I'm really sorry that I upset you. Help me understand why my actions made you feel that way, right? you're, You're not trying to create two sides where somebody wins, somebody loses. You're pressing in for understanding. So you might say something like this. Help me understand why me inviting my mom, your mother-in-law, to join us on the cruise I had originally planned for the two of us. Why did that make you so mad, right? All right, maybe not the best example, but believe me, us guys are capable of that. I just got to kind of tell you, right? But the point is, when your spouse tries to bring up anger, this sense of something isn't right, some injustice has taken place, listen don't react. Push for clarity. And then finally, on the topic of marriage, don't express your anger if you can't affirm your love. 
Don't express your anger if you can't affirm your love. You know, even in really good marriages, you are still going to find traces of insecurity in one or both spouses. It's there. This might have to do with upbringing. It might have to do with a certain personality type. It might have to do with a past infidelity. It might have to do with a present difficulty they're going through that is completely unrelated to marriage. Whatever it is, we all can have those moments when we feel insecure. And so if we bring up an anger issue with our spouse when they're not in a good place, they just might misinterpret what we're trying to tell them. And they're going to feel rejected. They're going to feel condemned by us, even if we think we've got the best of intentions. And so if you've got an issue that you feel needs to be addressed, maybe the first words out of your mouth need to be something like, We need to talk. I've got something I need to bring up. But let me say right up front, I love you. I believe the best in you, and I'm not going anywhere. I mean, maybe that's understood, and guys, you're you're kind of from that, you know, school. I said I do when we got married, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we need to stay. We need to reaffirm, right? Now, that might sound extreme, but dealing with anger can be a scary thing. And so, for instance, if your spouse grew up with an alcoholic father who'd always fly into a rage and storm out of the house, and that was their normal, and actually one day they did that and never came back. See, if that's your spouse's formative experience with anger, you can understand why they're just trying to keep the peace at all costs. So yes, I do believe that every good marriage needs a little anger in it, but even more than that, every good marriage has to have a foundation of unconditional faithfulness and ongoing forgiveness, right? I'm committed to you, the faithfulness. That's that's not an issue. That's not what we're talking about as we're trying to resolve this anger, right? That's the safety net. That what? That is going to give us the courage to be able to address anger issues in a healthy way. Do not express your anger if you cannot affirm your love. Now, I, lo- I know a lot of you here aren't married. Some of you are. And for those of you who are married, some of you are here together. Some of you are here on your own. Whatever the case might be, I want to encourage you to who are married just to, to lovingly, prayerfully, respectfully work, for, work through your conflicts. Address anger issues in your marriage. Why what? While they're still small and recent, And so while destructive explosions of anger cannot be tolerated, constructive expressions of anger must be allowed. Now, if you feel like your marriage isn't strong enough to face anger and to handle the conflict, then get some help. Talk to a friend. Meet with a pastor. Agree to see a Christian counselor together. If you need help finding one, call the church office. We'll share a referral list with you. Whatever it is, do something. You can't let unresolved anger build up in your marriage or else you will give the devil a foothold. You will begin to believe his lies. And this wonderful union that God ordained for the both of you to enjoy, it's going to start to crumble and it may eventually fall apart. So by the grace of God, with the love that you two share, address the conflict. Resolve the anger. That's what good marriages do. Well, that's a lot on marriage, so let's move on to the other two. The second is this, committed relationships. Committed relationships. Now, what I'm talking about here is two people in an exclusive relationship that is like marriage, but is not marriage, okay? It's like marriage, but it's not marriage. It's two grown adults, romantically, physically involved, likely living together. It happens. It's out there. Cohabitation is part of our culture, and yes, that happens even among Christians, right? Despite the fact that God is very clear about that, right? Sorry, said it, had to go there, right? You're not going to hear it anywhere else, right? But that's not the point I want to camp on. No, for two people living together in an exclusive, committed relationship, you know what? They're going to have the same kind of disagreements that a husband and wife do, right? They're going to get mad at each other. They're going to tick each other off, right? So despite the stereotypes that marriage means misery, while a lack of formal commitment means freedom, you can't escape the reality of selfish choices. And with those selfish choices come what? Hurt and anger. That's why a lot of the practical steps I shared under the marriage relationship section apply here as well. But I got to be honest with you, when it comes to confronting anger issues, I think cohabitating couples are at a big disadvantage compared to married couples. I really do. See, if you buy the premise 
that a committed couple needs to be able to work through their anger in a healthy way, and that by doing so, it's actually going to draw them closer together? If you think that's a good thing, then you're going to need safety and security in your relationship to do so. And I believe that best comes through the marriage covenant, through vows exchange where promises are made not just to each other, but also to God. See, here's what I've found with cohabitating couples that aren't married. Because there aren't any vows that are formally expressed, there's always one partner who feels like they've got to carry the weight of keeping things together. It's usually the woman. So yes, they love each other, but she knows that nothing is promised, and so she is going to make sure she does whatever it takes so that things don't blow apart. And that's especially true when kids are evolved. And so that kind of uncertainty that's swirling around, how motivated is she really going to be to want to address the conflict? To tell her partner why she's angry, to risk getting him mad in return and ending the whole thing. And so in a relationship like that, without a foundation of mutually pledged commitment, anger often gets denied, it gets excused, it gets explained away. And then, when you can't keep a lid on it, it might eventually explode. Now, I'm not saying that marriage, especially in just a civil sense, is kind of this lucky rabbit's foot that keeps every married couple together. We know that's not true. But here's what we do know. Committed relationships of any kind are hard. They're really hard. There's the anger, there's the hurt, there's the selfishness. There are those times down the road when you don't really feel in love with the other person, and so what are you going to do when that comes? You're going to bail at the first sign of trouble? You're going to give up when it doesn't feel very fun? Listen, Kathy and I have been married 27 years. I think we're doing pretty well. But we have had some honest conversations along the way. That as much as we love each other, I think the glue that keeps us together is not just the commitments we made to each other. It's also the promises we made to God. And so in those times when we're ticking each other off, when there's something in you where your feelings say, run, we stick it out. And we push through the anger as an act of love, not only for each other, but as an act of love for God, who what? Who first loved us. And so if you're in a committed relationship, but you've been unwilling to get married, you're selling yourself short. You are compromising what you two could be. I could play the Bible card now and make you feel guilty about it. It's your life, not mine. Your choices are between you and God. I'm just saying that for your relationship to be all that it can be, you need to be able to work through your anger without fear of blowing the whole thing apart. And the only place you're going to find that kind of safety and security is on the foundation of marriage that's centered on God. Really. And if that's where you're at, I mean, you feel like that's kind of describing your relationship, we'd love to help you. We'd love to talk to you about marriage. We'd love to tell you why putting God in the center of your relationship and formally committing that to him, to those around you, and to each other can make all the difference in the world. Time's flying by. We got one more, and that is family relationships. Family relationships. This is the anger that can exist between parents and children. And so in light of that, I want to start by reading a passage from the New Testament. Book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, my years of ministry, if there is any one passage that gets a hearty amen from the adults in the congregation, it is this one, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, why is it we as parents get so angry, frustrated, and impatient with our children? It's this right here. It's because they don't do what we tell them to do. Clean your room, finish your dinner, pick up your clothes, put away your toys. Do your homework, turn off the TV, be home by 11, text me when you get there, stop hitting your brother, don't talk to me that way, no more screens. I mean, we are clear in what we want them to do, so why don't they obey us? That's when we get angry. But Paul doesn't stop at verse 3. He says, actually, there's a two-way dynamic to this relationship. Verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, instead bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do you know what the word exasperate means? 
means to frustrate. Means to discourage. It means to quotes from the dictionary, irritate or provoke to a high degree or to annoy extremely. Why do parents not all or kids not always obey their parents? Well, a lot of times it's because they're frustrated, they're discouraged, and we make it hard for them to do what we tell them to do. Now, I'm not talking about the clear instructions part, right? We got that down pat. No, I'm talking about the tone we set and the environment we create in the home. And much of that revolves around this whole issue of anger. See, one of the most important things that a parent needs to teach their child is how to handle their anger in a healthy way. Parents, if you have children and they're still living under your your roof, you need to be able to teach them how to handle their anger in a healthy way. The problem, though, in so many homes is that parents never give their kids a chance to do so. They're never allowed to learn on the job, so to speak. No, instead, at the first sign of annoyance, we shoot them down and we shut them up, right? Don't talk back to me. You have no right to be mad at me. That's it. You're grounded. Go Go to your room, right? And all the while, kids who are trying to work through their anger emotions are never allowed to resolve them. Rather what? Rather they're told what they're feeling isn't important or it isn't right, so they just need to stop and get over it. But as we've seen throughout this series, unaddressed anger might disappear for the moment, but it doesn't go away. Now listen, I'm not into backtalk. I'm not into tantrums. I'm not into the inmates ruling the asylum. Parents are entrusted with this God-given authority over their children to lovingly train and teach them in the ways of the Lord, and that includes helping them handle their anger in a godly way. But here's the thing. Children aren't always going to get it right the first time. And so when their anger is expressed in hurtful ways, they need to learn. But they can't get away with those kind of angry actions as a response to their angry emotions. But by the same token, children also need to be given room and freedom and grace to make some mistakes along the way. So what? So they can learn in the safety of the home before they eventually leave the nest. So parents, do you give your children a chance to express their frustrations and their anger with you? Now that's going to look differently depending on the ages and stages of life. That as they get older, their expressions need to become more mature and they need to become more verbal. Still, they got to feel like they're allowed to do it without being afraid of immediate wrath and retaliation. Parents, don't bully your children when it comes to their anger because if you do, you'll eventually pay for it. You will, and so will they. They'll become more withdrawn. Their behavior will become more passive-aggressive. And if it keeps on going, their buried anger can get to the point where when they're teens, they're going to seek to hurt you by hurting themselves. Hurt you by hurting themselves, doing poorly in school, dropping out of church, drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, cutting, and even attempting suicide. You know, parents of teens, you may hate all the yelling and the door slamming, but at least they're trying to communicate something to you as poorly as it might be. So what should a parent do? Allow your children to express their anger while also apologizing for your own anger. Allow your children to express their anger while also apologizing for your own anger. Now again, I'm not talking about a free-for-all where anything goes. That is, you're allowing expressions for their anger, train and correct them when it's inappropriate. But by the same token, we need to be quick to admit when we've blown it with them. Listen, your kids have a justice filter too. And if they feel like there's a double standard for how anger gets to be expressed in your home, they're going to pick up on that real quick, and they're going to resent you for it. You know, as parents, we need to have those times when we say things like, you know, I am sorry that I yelled at you like that. You didn't deserve it. I need to apologize to you. Now, again, if they broke their curfew, there is a conversation that needs to happen, then have it, right? Now, if they need to be disciplined because they keep on doing the same thing and don't ever seem to learn, then be the parent. But you can still do that without tearing into them because you're so ticked off. Parents, and you've got to not just teach this stuff to your kids, you also got to model it. And that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it should mean that when you blow it with them, you're, you're, you're going to be big enough to admit it, okay? That's going to go a long, long way in keeping you from exasperating your children. Allow your children to express their anger while also apologizing for your own anger. Well, we've talked about 
uh, three different relationships and anger in those relationships, right? The, the marriage relationship, committed relationships, family relationships. And I hope that if there is something from this message that really spoke to you today, that you'll pay attention to that and that you'll act on whatever God is nudging you to say or to do. You know, if we had the time, we could also talk about other relationships, right? Like our siblings, our closest friends, those we connect with here at church. Listen, as long as two people are involved, there is always going to be the potential for anger. And in many cases, the closer the relationship, the greater the potential, right? The closer the relationship, the greater the potential for anger. And it's this last thought that I want to touch on as we wind things down. You know, one of the biggest reasons anger shows up in our closest relationships it has to do in part with what we think the other person can and should do for us, right? That we have these certain expectations of them, and when they fail to deliver, we get mad at them. Now, in every close relationship, there are reasonable expectations we can have of the other person. Where we get in trouble, though, is when we expect or even demand, emotionally demand, spiritually demand, that they meet needs in us that only God can meet. That we look to our spouse, we look to our child for our ultimate meaning and significance. And when they can't live up to meeting those needs in us, what happens? We find what? Our desires are frustrated, our needs are unfulfilled, and we get angry with them. And yet that's so unfair, isn't it? That we're expecting them to do what God never created them to do for us in the first place. Listen, some of you are never going to get this anger part in your life right because you don't have the God part right. You've been living with constant anger. Why? Because you're carrying around all these frustrated desires, all these unmet needs, and you feel like people are always letting you down when in fact you are expecting way too much from them. You are trying to fill this God-shaped hole in your heart with people-shaped pieces, and it isn't working. It's never going to work. No, it's only with a relationship to the living God in Jesus Christ that is going to fill the emptiness, that's going to settle the restlessness you're feeling. Your heart is ultimately made for God, and everything that you've been frantically looking for can be yours when you surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to be your Savior and your Lord. You know, maybe you've been going through this series looking to improve the anger area of your life when, in fact, God has been looking at you and using this series to bring you back to him. Come to Jesus. Give your life to him. This is where it all begins. In a moment now, I'm going to pray. And as I do, I want the church leaders who are helping out with prayer to come forward while I'm praying. And then after I'm done praying, like I mentioned before, you're invited to come forward and have someone pray with you. If you don't feel led to do that today, that's fine. I'm just going to ask that when we wrap up, that you leave the auditorium and not linger around so that the people who are still here, right, aren't distracted. So, that's how we're going to do that. Next week, we wrap up the anger series, and got a great message for that. But just now, for this time, I'm going to pray, have our leaders come forward, and then uh, those who want to pray, stay. Those who don't feel the need can uh, be dismissed. Let's pray together. We exalt you, God. We exalt you in our lives. We exalt you in this church, and we exalt you in our relationships. Lord, many of us need to come with repentance and confessing hearts because you aren't the center of those relationships. We are. And we get mad at the other person because they're not doing what we think they should. They're not meeting the desires that we think they should. And we've just blown it. And so first and foremost, Lord, for all of us, we want to get the God part right. That Jesus, you need to be exalted in our hearts as Savior and Lord. And I pray for those here who need to take that step. But for the rest of us, we're just in the grind of these relationships. Marriage, committed relationships, family relationships. Some of us feel stuck. Some of us feel hopeless. But Jesus, thank you that you are bigger and that you are stronger than any problem we are facing and that as we seek to do what you call us to do, that you would give us faith that is greater than our fear. 
God, thank you. Thank you that you don't leave us alone in our troubles, in our frustration, in our anger, in our loneliness, but you are right there with us, and you have the power to do all things. So for every one of us in this room, Lord, with open hands, with open hearts, we we give you that troubling relationship. Pray that you would deliver us from anger and that you would be exalted. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.